Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. I need your help with a couple of phrases, and I want to see if we know what they mean. The first is, it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. What, what do you think that means? <laughs> yep. It's, uh, it's, it's maybe a way to say, eh, it's good enough. It's acceptable, maybe. Um, let's try another one. Uh, this, I had a boss that used to say this all the time. Uh, she's going 90 miles an hour with her hair on fire. What does that mean? She's busy. Rushing, Rushing yeah. There's just uh, the important stuff, taking care of the, uh, that fire. It's, you're not doing that because you're overwhelmed, you're busy. What about this one? You can bet the farm on that. Okay, yeah, good, good. How about this one? He stays in the shadow of his mama's apron. Shy, timid, quiet. Okay, how about this one? She could talk the ears off a mule. Yes, that is not a word I can ever pronounce, but yes. Uh, Talkative, verbose. Um, And then the final one, it's one of my favorites. He's all hat and no cattle. He's what? Poser. Yeah, that's a great one. He's boastful. He doesn't, he doesn't actually have what he says. Um, so anyway, all these um, I've used this morning not to impress you with my uh, West Texas small town knowledge, uh, though I have heard all of these said at one time or another by family or friends. I don't know what that says about us, but, uh, but what, what I've used it for this morning is to show that there can be wisdom in short, pithy sayings. The Bible's full of these short, pithy, memorable sayings. In fact, we have a book entitled Proverbs with these short, memorable sayings. God uses and shares his wisdom in such a way that we can be taught how to deal with practical everyday life issues by looking at the book of Proverbs. So, what are we supposed to do? Because our Proverbs, the Proverbs of Scripture, are unlike cultural Proverbs or colloquialisms. The Proverbs of the Bible are the inspired Word of God that teaches us and trains us as we seek to mature in Christ. So, over the next four weeks, we're going to take a different proverb each week and, sh- and show you how they impact us as the people of God. As Pastor Kevin said this past week in his email, if God is the storehouse of these incredible treasures, we should seek them out in his word. Sanford Yoder stated in his book on the poetry of the Old Testament, 
The word mashal, from which the word Proverbs is derived, denotes a simple, self-evident truth expressed in a short, pointed sentence designed to arrest attention, awaken responsive thought, and remain fixed in memory. Furthermore, Thomas Constable said, Proverbs are statements that paint a small word picture of what life should be like. Thus, a proverb is a snapshot of life. However, as with every snapshot, a proverb does not always represent what life looks like. One picture does not capture everything. A good proverb, like a good snapshot, captures what is typical. It's also important to note that proverbs are not promises. Just because a proverb says something does not equate it with a promise. It's this typical snapshot, this ideal environment that things should happen that way. So with that in mind, our proverb today, Proverbs 22 verses 24 through 25, our proverb today is going to give us a snapshot of what is typically true in a given situation. Because we see the word man here, I I want to kind of give a warning. Um, It may say man, and while we may see more (laughs) anger in male friendships, uh, this is something that every person of God, male or female, should listen to. We need to hear it, and we need to heed what it says. So if you have your Bible, or if you... uh, want to follow along on the screen, Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25 reads, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So, this proverb seems to capture what is typical, and it's clear in its intention. It's saying that the person who's prone to angry outbursts will teach their friends to be angry and it will be a trap for their lives. So what are we supposed to do with this proverb? Maybe more importantly, how are we supposed to spend more than two minutes on explaining this proverb? Well, in order to understand that, let me ask you this. What makes you angry? Seriously. What makes you angry? Is it the injustice that we see in the world, within our country, within our community? Is it when you see people are treated in a way that they should never be treated because they have value and dignity and worth because they're made in the image of God? Is it your own sin that makes you angry because you're tired of doing that thing over and over and over again? Or... Are you angry because someone didn't use their blinker as they turned into Target? Maybe, if, if you're like me, something happened and you got really embarrassed and you didn't know how to deal with it. So you get really angry. That's how it comes out. Maybe you're angry because of something someone posted on Facebook or their political stance or their team of choice. I don't know, sports ball something I don't know people get angry about that I've heard Um, so what is it that makes us angry in light of today's proverb knowing what makes us angry is a good first step in making sure that we live well before the Lord 
You see, the Bible talks about two different types of anger. There's righteous anger, and then there's unrighteous or sinful anger. Righteous anger is directed at sinful behavior and true injustice. Righteous anger is about being mad at the things that hurt people and are truly an affront to God. But that sinful, that unrighteous anger, it's anger that tends to just prop oneself up against inconveniences and frustrations and delays in one's own eyes. Righteous anger should positively impact people because we're going to God in prayer. Sinful anger benefits only one or a select few because it's all about the self. You see, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard it said that, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What Jesus is teaching, what he's showing us, is that anger is the spiritual equivalent of murder. And he, engage, he, he warns us to not engage it in a sinful, wrong manner. Rather, we should repent and we should reconcile when we have wrongly placed anger against someone. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let, your, uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Further on in the New Testament, we see James say, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what are these verses telling us? They're saying that there's a type of anger that is okay, but do not engage in sinful or human-centered ways of, angers, of anger, because that anger will never make you look like Christ. No one had to teach us to be angry. We're naturals from birth. Yet it's clear from these passages that we're not meant to be left alone in our anger. We are to do something that's appropriate with our anger. So how do we control or, or maybe not control, how do we exhibit our anger? Well, sometimes, while we don't have to be taught how to be angry, sometimes we do need to be taught how to control it or how to exhibit it. <laughs> Growing up, anytime we had car trouble, my dad wanted to fix the car. Uh, it's to save money. 
for the first couple hours, and then after that, it's not saving money. Anyway, uh, so there were often times when we had car trouble growing up that he wanted to go out there. Um, but my mom didn't want me going out there to help. Uh, I, I, I've talked to my mom in recent years um, about this, and she was saying that she didn't want me to learn how to be angry, how to exhibit that anger, how to use some of those words uh, that my dad used. Uh, and I, I get that, um, and, and I do appreciate that. But I also know that it's not just at cars, like with car trouble, that I learned from my dad. You see, anywhere that we were, I learned it from him. Uh, even to this day, my wife has to get on to me uh, because in the car is one of those places where I tend to get uh, sinfully angry. Uh, I learned from my dad, what's wrong with them? Their wrist broke to mean they're not using a blinker. Uh, and so whether it was in the car, talking about work, just spending time with my dad, I learned from him certain ways to express anger and frustration. And I don't say this to shame my dad. I, towards the end of his life, I, I did see a change, and he and I uh, ended up having a, a better relationship. But he, he just, I've always known him as an angry man, and he displayed that for, for us. Um, and so I saw it from him without ever having to be in that one individual situation working on a car. And it taught me that the proximity of me and my dad formed me and shaped me because of what he displayed. And I think that's true of all of us. We learn from those we spend time with. In fact, psychologists have this phrase called emotional contagion. And it explains that like germs, emotions are spread from person to person. We're exhibiting the emotions of those uh, that we're around because they spread easily. And yet, it's not just the people, but it's the things that we're around, the technology and the ideas that we spend time with that shape us. Think about the time that you may spend on Facebook or Instagram or on the news. What are you seeing there that is shaping the way that you're thinking and behaving? Not only that, but how are those things shaping you to be angry? When was the last time that you were reading an article quietly to yourself and then you expressed frustration verbally? There was a time where that happened pretty much on a daily basis for me. Um, it happens far more often than we would like. So, the question we ask then, if we, if we learn from those that we spend time with, we ask, who are you spending your time with? Who am I spending my time with? Who or what has been given a louder voice, a more prominent voice in your life because you spend a copious amount of time with them? There's a reason that I disabled Facebook and it's not because of people's really fun summer vacation photos. 
I found myself getting angry and frustrated by the things that family and friends were saying and doing. And I didn't need that. I didn't want that. And so, more importantly than the technology is the people that I now align myself with. The people that pour into my life. The the people that I spend the most time with are the people that get the loudest voice and influence and access to, to influence my behavior. And why is that? It's because I'm spending that time with them and I want to learn from them. You see, when we spend time with people that are angry and complain, we tend to be angry and complain. When we spend time with people that are full of joy and peace, we tend to be people of joy and peace. When people are excited, we tend to be excited. And so this week, as I've prepared, this morning as I've continued to pray, one of the things that I've prayed and thought through is I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain by acting as if, I don't get angry or frustrated in that I don't have moments to where I kind of blow up. And we all do. But I think another thing that that I've wrestled with is that I want to be a living proof of this proverb in such a way that I'm not the angry man and I'm not the one caught in their snare. And I've thought through this because it's warning me that I should not make friends with angry people because, again, they influence me. I really don't think it takes a lot of convincing in 2022 to, to realize that there are a lot of angry people. And honestly, I don't think there's a day that goes by that we don't see it displayed somehow in some form or fashion. In fact, there's a good possibility that you saw that or experienced it on the way to church this morning. So how do we seek as Christians, those who trust in Christ for their lives and for their salvation, how do we seek to not be a bunch of angry people? Well, I think a part of that is really realizing that the inverse or the opposite of what this this proverb is teaching is true as well. Make friendship with a man given to peace, gentleness, self-control, and go with a loving man. Because you can learn his ways and find yourself far from sinful snares. For the sinner who's left to themselves, wrath and anger is all they'll know. Even if they're an even-killed person, their sin leads them to a place where there is no true peace or comfort. But for the Christian, we experience peace and comfort We have the blood of Christ to cover our sin. So the first man that we should make friends with is the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who will show us what it means to be a man of peace and a man of love. We come into a relationship with him acknowledging our sinfulness and our need for redemption through him. And we are making friends with the Prince of Peace. When we spend time with him quality time each day. We can trust that His Spirit is transforming us 
And he's making us to look more like him. How are you letting Jesus influence you? How are you not only allowing influence, but transformation? Each day when you wake up, are you looking forward to spending time with him? Are you looking forward to spending time with others? Are you looking forward to being a a man or a woman of peace? If I'm being very honest, there are times where I'm very selfish and I look forward to spending time with nobody else but myself. And yes, I am am a shy introvert. Um, I long for moments where I can be alone and not have to say anything. And yet, if I believe what the Bible says is true, and I do, I also know that the Lord himself is still with me. And so the question in those moments, or the question in that moment is, am I willing to engage my relationship with God? And you might not be shy, and you might not be an introvert, and you might not get as much alone time as often as you'd like. But are you choosing friendship with Christ as often as you can? Are you satisfied with just meeting Him here on a Sunday morning? Are you looking to to be with Him day in, day out? I encourage you to find ways to meet with Him throughout the day so that you can be influenced and transformed by Him. But you know, there, there may be some that don't yet know Jesus personally. And that's the, the great thing about who Jesus is. He gives his life for all. He desires to be in a relationship with you. You see, Jesus Christ is the living Son of God who came to earth to live the perfect and sinless life and then die for yours and my sins. And then he was raised by the power of God from, from, the, de- uh, from the dead So that when we trust in Him, when we cling to Him, we can have salvation and redemption for all eternity. If you have found that the way you're living and the way that you're working isn't working, I encourage you, trust in Christ Jesus. Today can be the day that change begins to happen. It doesn't mean things are perfect As I've already admitted, I tend to to be angry. Um, But there is change over time because of the spirit and the grace of God. But you know, in addition to trusting in Christ and being transformed by him, God's given us another gift in helping us, and that's his people, the church. And so what Christians... What maturing Christians are you spending time with? Not just one day a week or maybe two days a week, but what maturing Christians are pouring into your life? How are they encouraging you? That's a part of what discipleship is. Having Christians walk alongside of you to encourage you towards faithful obedience. At Legacy, one of the ways that we try to make disciples is through life groups. We have multiple groups here at Legacy that meet throughout the week. 
Um, and the purpose is to help one another in those groups learn to live the life that Christ has called us to. The group as a whole helps the individual so that the individual takes their place in the group to help other individuals. It's, it's weird. It's a math problem. Let's not talk about math. That's, that's not what I'm here for. But the group helps one another. They encourage one another. They model for one another how to follow Jesus. And it's, it's hard when we're not with people on a regular basis. And honestly, I would love to see every person who calls Legacy their home be involved in a life group. We need leaders. We need groups to grow. We need more people to engage. But that honestly is one of the best ways to make disciples. I would love to talk to you if you're interested in joining a life group, if you're interested in leading a life group. We need more people. But you know, another way, and, and one, of, one of my most uh, favorite ways, I guess is how I would say it, uh, to make disciples is one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, there are several men in our church that I meet on a weekly basis. Um, we meet up here at the church building anywhere from 6 or 6.30 in the morning. We meet for an hour or so. Um, and we meet for the purpose of praying, for reading scripture, for encouraging one another to grow, to just listen. And the great thing about that is it doesn't take any special skills. It just takes the Holy Spirit and a willingness to engage on a regular basis. I've been discipled by some really great men this way, and I continue to be discipled by some really great men in this manner. And I've discipled some young men in this way, uh, but they're not great because I've discipled them. They're great because it's a grace and mercy of the Lord himself. <laughs> Several years ago, I got to stand as a groomsman in the wedding of one of these men that I, I discipled in this manner. I'm about 10 years older than he is, and I, I made the joke as the oldest uh, groomsman if I could have a walker to go down because I felt so out of place because I'm not, not the rest of their ages. But the, the funny thing is, he and I, though we live hours apart, we're in different seasons of life, he and I still talk on a regular basis. We still pray for one another. And we do so because like with these other one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationships, both he and I have sought to model for one another joy and peace, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We've sought to be transformed by the Spirit of God to the glory of God by displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever we reject men or reject women, when we reject people who are prone to anger and instead spend time with Jesus and with godly men and women, we can be certain that we won't find ourselves in a snare. The book of Proverbs gives us wonderful guidance on how to avoid such danger. So let us take heed, not only today, but for the next four weeks as we continue this series, let us take heed of what the Proverbs say. But for us today, as we go from here in just a few moments, what are we supposed to do with it? I get it. Don't hang out with angry people. Let's move forward. Uh, but there's just a little bit more than that. Uh, really, <laughs> I think about Proverbs. I think about all the wisdom literature in, in Scripture. 
And one of the best definitions that I've ever been given is that wisdom is knowledge applied. I can have all the knowledge in the world, but if I don't apply it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Uh, if we're c- continuing these, the theme of all these, these sayings. Um, so what is it that we need to do to not only know this proverb, but apply it so that we are wise? Well, let me offer you three suggestions. The first, take an inventory of your anger. Make sure that you schedule time to sit with God and ask Him what makes you angry. Consider, with His help, the emotional stressors, the physical stressors of what in your life is making you angry. And you may not be an angry person, and boy, howdy, that's great. Um, But there is probably something that frustrates you or does make you a little frustrated um, to the point that you're reacting in such a way that may not be as, as God-glorifying as what you think. And so just sit time, sit, sit with God, spend time asking Him what makes you upset or angry. With Him, you may consider, is it the news? Maybe it's continued things in our country or in our world. Is it social media? Is it your job? Is it your coworkers? Whatever it is, commit to God, to understanding what it is, and laying it before the Lord and asking for guidance on that to no longer make you angry. And, and knowing the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger is key at this point. God, God desires for us to talk to him. That's all prayer is. It's coming before the Lord and talking to him. So ask him, is Is what makes me angry righteous, God? Am am I standing up for you and for your ways? Or am I asking for my way to be your way? Because if we remember the Lord's Prayer, it's God's will to be done, not our will to be done. So just ask. Ask God to help you know the difference between your righteous anger and your unrighteous, your sinful anger. And then ask for God to act whether transforming you or transforming the situation. Knowing what makes you angry will help you confront it appropriately. The second suggestion I have is take an inventory of then your friends and your influences. While it seems similar to this first one, it's different in the fact that this is the external influences that cause you uh, to be chipped away, cause you to not follow Jesus that cause you to be angry. Ask God to reveal what friendships and relationships you have that are feeding your anger rather than calling you to holiness in Christ. And it's probably going to be a difficult conversation. Um, I remember uh, a friend of mine, uh, he and I years ago worked together um, when we drove parts out to drilling rigs. Um, and he and I would just feed off of one another. Sometimes it was the good stuff. Sometimes it was the funny stuff. But sometimes it was the frustrating. Sometimes it was the anger. Um, and so this friend and I, uh, we, we felt convicted. And we sat down and prayed together. And we confessed to one another. And we held one another accountable. And so now, and since we don't work together, it's a little bit easier. But now when we talk, we do. It's, it's not that we're 
looking past frustrations. We're not sweeping anything under a rug. We just know what we should be able to talk about. And whenever we're Christians, we can talk about the good and godly things of this life. So ask God and take an inventory of your friends and your influences. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Interestingly enough, this is probably from a, a play, a Greek play. And so it just goes to highlight that whether Christian or not, we recognize that we have influences on our lives that can make us do bad. Um, and so consider what Paul is saying. What, what bad company is ruining or transforming you? And do we have the wisdom to not go down the wrong path? Once you take an inventory of those relationships, those influences, be willing to set boundaries. Jesus in his earthly ministry spent time with all sorts of people. And yet, they never had influence over him. He influenced them. He called these people to repentance and to follow him. And so, let us remember that we are called to interact with all sorts of people. But instead of pushing them away, just set boundaries. Don't let them influence us in such a way that hinders our growth. And finally, the third thing that we should do is spend time with Jesus and maturing Christians. I know this sounds like a silly question, but what have your conversations with Jesus looked like this week? Do you remember a significant conversation with him in the past seven days? Or are you still looking at things from weeks or months ago? Are you, are you talking to him, confessing to him, asking him to lead you, to transform you, and are you listening to him? Part of the reason I ask that is because I deeply desire that every person here today is transformed by Christ. I want Christ's influence over us to be far more important, far louder, far more transformative than the things that we're seeing and experiencing elsewhere. Let us look for Christ in order to be transformed. And also, part of the good news is our transformation is lifelong. Uh, there, are t- there are times that it seems like we take one step forward and two steps back. Um, and it's understandable. Um, I, I know I've had this conversation with Pastor Kevin multiple times. I, I thought by now at my age, I would be here, whatever here is. In my mind, I just thought I would be more mature, I'd have all the answers, I wouldn't have to uh, have so much uh, worry and doubt, and I I wouldn't still have sin in my life. Um, But a part of the beauty of these conversations and confessing that is that it's a a normal part of the spiritual life. Um, We just wrestle with it. Um, And so our transformation takes our entire life. Um, But one of the ways to safeguard that transformation is by spending quality time with Christ and with his people. And so you may even ask, 
How have I spent quality time with maturing Christians lately? What have you learned about them? Uh, what have you learned from them about faithful obedience? How have you been challenged to grow? And I'm not saying that it needs to be a life group or one-on-one discipleship um, or even, even grabbing coffee, although all of those things are great. Um, maybe it's, it starts off as a simple text. Maybe it starts off as going to dinner or lunch with someone and just doing it once, but learning from that person and engaging our spiritual life with others. And like I mentioned, I love life groups, I love one-on-one discipleship, I love coffee. And if you want any of those things, seriously, please reach out. Yeah, like I'm always down for coffee. Um, and I want to help you grow. That The Lord has tasked me with being here so that I can help you grow as He uses you to help me grow as a Christian. I firmly believe that the transforming grace and power of spending time with Jesus and with other Christians is vital to our spiritual health. I would not be here today if I did not have men and women who walked alongside of me over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, God is doing a mighty work when we spend time with Him, asking Him to transform us, when we spend time with other Christians. So when we continually take an inventory of our anger and take an inventory of our friends and our influences and spend time with Jesus and with other Christians, you will see that you will not fall into the snare of an angry man. My hope for us is that we will be known more by our love and our grace for others than we'll ever be known for our anger and our frustration within the the real world or the digital world. God warns us to not make friends with a hothead here in Proverbs 22. Let us heed his counsel and instead make friends with Jesus and his people. And may we be transformed by God's grace and the power to turn from our sinful anger so that we are people of peace, gentleness, and joy. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you that you desire for us to be transformed. That you warn us in your word over and over and over again to not have unrighteous, sinful anger. So Lord God, help us to discern where that righteous anger is in our life, the things that frustrate us, but they frustrate us because we desire for your glory to go forth and help us to understand when we are frustrated because we don't get our own way and we become partakers of that sinful anger and wrath. Lord, I I pray for myself. I pray that I would remember who I am in Christ Jesus, that I would remember that I am a new creation, that I am no longer uh, who I was, so that in moments of frustration, moments of confusion, I would not respond in anger, but instead that I would respond with grace and peace. And I pray for our church. I pray that they would as they trust you, as they seek you, as they are transformed by your spirit, 
that those closest to them will see a powerful change in their lives. Lord, I, I pray that you would create opportunities for conversations so that those who do not yet know you would ask our church members, those who are being transformed, why there's been a change in their lives so that we can share the gospel of hope with our coworkers, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors. Lord God, I, I thank you that you have called us to be people of peace. May we heed, may we hear what it is that you're teaching us, revealing to us in Proverbs 22. Lord, may this series be to your glory and for the benefit of your people. And we pray these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit, to the glory of you, O Father. Amen.